The following message is entitled, The Eternal Word, Part 8. This message was given during the morning service on January 1, 2023, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, follow me in the Bible as I read out loud. You can read silently in your copy of the scriptures. This is our first Sunday of the month communion series that I do each first Sunday of the month. We're continuing in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The first series that I've outlined for the Gospel of John, which would be Communion Credential Series number 1 in the note sheet next to the picture of the cross, is the wonder of Christ's life is introduced. And that's in chapter 1 here, verses 1 to 18. And in these 18 verses, the stage is set, as your note sheet says, for Christ's introduction to humanity as the eternal God-man. To outline these first 18 verses, my first Roman numeral point is the deity of Christ, verses 1 to 5 that I just read. We've already looked at the beginning. The word was God. And the word, of course, is referring to the person of Jesus Christ because the word is defined, if you look at chapter 1, verse 14, you can see who the word is. Without without verse 14, we wouldn't know this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The only person of the Trinity that became flesh was the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verses 1 and 2, that the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Beginning in verse 2 would be referring to the beginning of creation. And then in your note sheet, letter B, the beginning is where we're at right now, being life, light through the words, through the Word. That's kind of an odd statement I have gave there, being life and light. Well, those three words, being, life, and light, are the three key terms in verses 3 to 5. Notice verse 3, all things came into being. So that's that first word after the beginning in Roman numeral 1, letter B. Then notice in verse 3, in him was life. That's the second term in letter B in your outline. And then thirdly in verse 4, and the life was the light of men. It's being, life, and light. That's what we're looking at. Last month, point number one under letter B in your outline review, and everything above the dotted line is review, the beginning all came into being through the word. We looked at the issue of coming into being. In verse 3, all things came into being through him. That's where we are currently. And in your note sheet, the Greek reads literally all things through him. So came into being comes after through him in the Greek. Even though the English little letter A says all things came into being through him, the Greek is what I'm following, all things through him came into being. It's more intensive. The emphasis is on Christ. Now, we defined all things last time. That's everything. Came into being wouldn't be heaven. Heaven always existed. So when something comes into being, wasn't, and then came into being, then obviously it's referring to creation. All things that are part of this universe. And that's what panta stands for in your note sheet there in the review, all things. And then we looked at the fact that it came into being through him. And we're going to continue to understand that concept of things coming into being through Christ today. So that's the review. Point number four, let's continue on under the dotted line with new material. 
came into being equals to emerge. And it's ginamai in the Greek. I typed it into English for you, ginamai. Came into being as one word, one verb in the Greek. In fact, this word ginamai in three different forms is used three times in one verse. Notice that. All things came into being. That's number one. And apart from him, nothing came into being. Number two, that has come into being. In one verse, coming into being is mentioned three times. What do you think the subject of verse three is? Everything coming into being. Mentioned three times. So that's incredible. So you can write that down under point four there after Ginnemai, that this verb has appeared three times alone in verse 3. Three times this verb in various forms has appeared in just one verse three times. Now let's get a little more in-depth on this. I gave you the grammar of each of the three verbs. It's kind of a weird way of writing things out, but I was just shorthanding it. It says air mid in Air, mid, end, perf, act, end. See that? That's the syntax or the grammatical form of each of the three verbs in verse 3. Air, mid, end is the one at the beginning of verse 3. Air, mid, end is the second coming into being. And perf, act, end, in that order, is the third one. What is this? Aorist, middle, indicative. The first one, aorist, middle, indicative, that's the full Description of air, mid, end, aorist, middle, indicative. That's just, he did it. He brought it into being. He did it. The second one is the same verb construction, air, mid, end, or aorist, middle, indicative. So that would be a second time. He did it. He brought it into being. He did it, he did it. And all things... He did it, brought him into being through him. And apart from him, nothing, he did it, came into being. And then the third one is different. Perf, act, end. And that would be, he always did it from the past to the present. He always did it from the past to the present. Perfect tense refers to a point in the past up to the present. So he's not just, all things didn't just come into being and he walked away. This refutes, the third one, by the way, and you can circle it, Perf, act, end. You can circle that. That destroys um, the whole concept of deism. That God made everything and walked away. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. He believed that God, uh, you know, intersected and created things. And then he just walked away from it all. And God just walked away from it all today. And there are people today that believe that. I was reading about an actress who was Catholic and she renounced Catholicism because she this week because she hates what the Bible has to say. And she said basically... It's got some uh, good things in it, I suppose, but I'm offended by the Bible. I'm offended by it, she said. And so I'm not going to be a Catholic anymore. Not that Catholics use the Bible, but she just equates the Bible with Catholicism, I suppose. And she says, but, but I still believe in God, but I follow my own path. That's deism, basically. Now, how does that third one in verse 3 that has come into being refute that? Well, the perfect act end, perfect act of indicative, means not only did he bring it into being, but he's actively in control of it all being emerging and still around today from past to the present. It's very important. So this is where grammar can help us to understand theology and can also can refute heresy at times. 
It's extremely important. God didn't just create it all in the past and then walk away. That's not what he did. He's actively involved. So that's why I listed those out. He did it, he did it, and he did it in the past to the present. He always did it. It's come into being, and it is still coming into being today. He's actively in control of creation. And we can see stars that die, not Hollywood stars, but stars in the sky. They can explode, and they can die, and others can come to form. Formation is telescopes can view these things, and God is actively in control of everything. Now, next underneath that, let's just look at ginemai just a little more carefully. Since it's the verb used three times in verse 3, coming into being, let's write down a more exact way of describing this coming into being. It happened. How's that? It happened. God made it happen. He made everything happen. Now, that's kind of simple. He just made it happen. Uh, one of my bosses says that all the time on the phone. Um, he's the mechanics mechanic, Merlin, and so people will call in, mechanics will call in, and I'll hear him talking uh, techno babble to the person on the phone, and then he said, I'll just make it happen. And he's telling the mechanic, I'll get this part for you, and we'll work it out. I'll make it happen. And he says that a lot because he's able to solve problems for various mechanic shops. We just don't sell parts. He's a mechanics doctor is what Merlin is. If you have a mechanical problem, there's pretty much not anything that he could not figure out for you and at least give you some advice on. Well, that's what came into being is um, God made it happen. It emerged. It wasn't, write this down under letter B, it wasn't, then it was. Creation. This is, trans, this is transitioning from nothing to something. Transitioning from nothing to something. In the Latin is called ex nihilo. That's the correct pronunciation. Because I don't want to make a mistake. 2023. So ex nihilo. X is out. Nihilo means nothing. Out of nothing. That's what this is describing in verse 3. Out of nothing. Now nihilo comes from nihilism. You don't pronounce it nihilism. You pronounce it nihilism. Uh, nihilism is a philosophy of chaos. I don't believe in anything. I believe in nothing. I'm a nihilist. To annihilate, same thing. To render something completely gone into nothing. So, um, Ukrainian war this past week, there were, I think, 60 Russian soldiers that were annihilated in this ambush by the Ukrainians. So that's nihilism, to annihilate, to render into nothing. So this is not something to nothing here in verse 3. This is nothing into something. Out of nothing... Christ made everything, ex nihilo. That's what this is. So that's letter C next, emerging from what to what? From nothing to something. From nothing to something. We have creation right up front. And we're going to pursue this some more as we go along this morning in the next few minutes and the next time. One of the big debates in evangelicalism, so-called, and... Uh, I was reading in one of the books I was reading this week a definition of evangelicalism. And uh, in fact, there's actually a definition, I think, also in that magazine, which, by the way, just let me stop right here. Uh, that magazine on the back, Voice magazine on the back table, says dispensationalism on it. That's what we are. And the entire magazine is on dispensationalism versus 
Reformed theology. Reformed theology is winning the day across the American and Western civilization church system. Dispensationalism is dying, but that's not because dispensationalism is bad. It's because it's true, and Reformed teaching is not. And if you don't know the difference between dispensationalism and uh, Reformed theology, or you're confused about that, well, that's the magazine for you back there. And that's where we stand as a church, and the IFCA stands unashamedly, we are dispensational. And in one of those articles I was reading this week, it gives a definition of evangelical. And I said to myself, well, that is a classic definition of evangelicalism, but it no longer exists because there is no definition of evangelicalism. It just isn't. I was listening to a May 20th uh, sermon from Truth Matters Conference uh, that was at uh, Grace Community Church this past week while I was driving. I think it was May 20th. And um, the speaker was pointing out how mysticism is just swept, sweeping through evangelicalism. And uh, he then played various heretical recordings. And one of them he played is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Brace for impact. He said this, and I quote, I am God! That's demonic breakout. As the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said it twice in two different sermons. There's no mistake it. Of mistaking it. And so evangelicalism is including guys like that, guys like MacArthur, guys like Joel Osteen. There's no definition of evangelical anymore. Okay. And one of the battles in evangelicalism right now, because her heresy has overcome everything, is that creationism is not important. That's a major issue today. Who cares? Who cares whether God created the world in six literal days? Or whether it's evolutionary, God started the first spark in theistic evolution. Who cares about any of that? It's not important. Well, it seems to be important in verse 3 of Christ's gospel here. Out of nothing, creation is brought up. And Christ is attached to it. And it's ex nihilo, out of nothing, came into being, emerged from nothing to something. So I think it's very important, don't you? So if evangelicalism can have the head of a formally biblically-minded denomination like the Southern Baptist Convention claimed to be God himself. And if you can have a Joel Osteen who claims to be an evangelical, John MacArthur who is an evangelical, and they all are in the same group together, then what you basically have is no definition for evangelical. And when you render an organization by definition useless, what you end up having is all this other junk falling in and a major issue today is very few evangelicals, it would seem, believe in a six-day creation. It can't be denied right here in verse 3. This is a foundation. This is a major act of God. Genesis starts off with creation. The Gospels, this one namely, starts off with Christ creating from nothing. Ex nihilo, if you want to write that down, next to uh, little letter C there, that's ex dash. N-I-H-I-L-O, that's Latin for nothing, out of nothing. That's what we believe, out of nothing. Becoming something. Now this verb ginomai, interestingly, isn't just used in the New Testament to refer to creation. I won't bore you with a lot of cross-references, but I think the one that's letter D in your note sheet bears some analysis. It's right there, 2 Peter 1.4. So turn over there, 2 Peter. We're in 1 Peter on Sunday nights. But ginomai, something out of nothing, appears in 
that verse. The same verb. And we'll roll into verse 4 from verse 2, seeing it's basically one long connected sentence structure. So we'll start in 2 Peter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So you can't get grace and peace working in your life apart from knowledge. That's extremely important. Continuing the sentence, verse 3, seeing that his divine power, God's divine power, has granted, graced us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through what? Epigenosis, true knowledge, full knowledge, one word, deep advanced knowledge, obviously referring to the word of God. With the word of God you have everything. Who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now notice, continuing the thought, verse 4, for by these, what? Precious, magnificent promises, the true knowledge of the word. He has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become, you may become. Do you see that right there? Verse 4, you may become something from nothing. Ginnamai. Same word as in John chapter 1, verse 3. Partakers of the divine nature. Now wait a minute, he's talking to believers. So that's a bad translation, partakers. Sounds like you're going to now as a believer receive the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that sound like that? That you may become. You did not have it, and now you have it. From nothing to something. So as believers, he's writing to believers. Notice verse 1, to those who received a faith the same kind as ours. He's talking to believers. And now, because of the English mistranslation in verse 4, it sounds like believers, after they're converted, may become partakers of the Holy Spirit, the divine nature. Is there a problem? So, the problem is with that word partakers. How they came up with that word, I don't know. It's a form of the word koinonia. Koinonia is fellowship. Acts chapter 2. Foundations of the church, prayer, communion, the apostles' teaching, and fellowship. Same word as partakers there. So you plug that word in there. Do you may become fellowshippers of the divine nature? And it's subjunctive. And what that means is it's doubtful. This is something where you choose to do it or not. Now the whole verse opens up. For according to the word of God in verse 4, by the word, you may become a deeper fellowshipper, spiritually uniting more and more as believers with the divine nature who resides within you. Now it makes sense. And now I understand why there's doubt. Because if I am not submitting to his precious and magnificent promises, I can't fellowship with the Spirit of God. So the idea is, you do not automatically fellowship with the Holy Spirit when you're saved. You have him unconditionally, but we must conditionally make a choice by submitting to the word of God to fellowship from nothing to something. Genemai. Same exact concept lines up. So we do not automatically fellowship with God as believers. We have him internally indwelling us automatically, but we have to, through the word of God, submit to his word. Submit to his word, you start fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only works through the word of God. Tremendous truth. So, letter D. In 2 Peter 1.4, the same verb appears as may become, aorist middle, that you yourself 
may make this choice. Middle means you yourself make this choice and that you might do it. Subjunctive means it's the verb of doubt. I might go to the store today, I might not. Regarding fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Something from nothing. So back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Gives you a little flavor of this. And also, understanding these concepts opens up to us a tremendous amount of understanding. So, it is not Christ in verse 3 that came into being. It's all things in verse 3 that came into being through him. That means, under letter D, he had to exist before Creation. Christ did. Right? So in verse 14, when it says that Christ, the flesh, became flesh, when the word became flesh, which is the same ginnomai, by the way, it was not God, in verse 14, that came into being, but his humanity. So Jesus was not always human. He went from nothing to something. The eternal logos, spirit, to human flesh. The incarnation was the beginning of his humanity. He did not always exist as a human. So he's the eternal word, second person of the Trinity. Now he had certain theophanies or appearances in human form in the Old Testament. But the point here is, it's the things that came into being through him. He had to be around before creation to make creation. He always was. He was in the beginning. So verse 2 is being expanded by verse 3. He was in the beginning with God, and being in the beginning of creation with God, he brought everything into being, ex nihilo. He did it alone. So we'll finish with letter E, bottom of your note sheet. Creation was a singular six-day event, not a long evolutionary process. Creation was a singular six-day event, not a long evolutionary process. Again, as I said earlier, destroying the heretical idea of theistic evolution as so many so-called evangelicals hold to today. Destroying the heretical idea of theistic evolution. When it says in 2 Peter 1.4 that you may become partakers or fellowshippers with the divine nature, that's not an evolutionary process. You can make a choice on any given day to go from nothing to something. You submit to the word of God and his promises and you start to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's not an evolutionary process. And that's true here in verse 3. He created instantly. The one who died on the cross... Is the same one who created it all. You can write that down under letter E. The creator is the one who died on the cross. The mind and power of Christ brought it all into being. Existence is impossible apart from the eternal logos, the word, because he alone created everything. There's no such thing as I believe in God, but I reject Christ. He is the giver of life, as we'll see next time in verse 4. He is the sustainer of life, the giver of light. He is in charge of all physical creation. It is the foolishness of unsaved man to say, I believe in God, but I reject your Christ. Christ is over all creation. He is over everyone. He is Lord. He created everything. He has the right to rule as he pleases. We can ignore God and Christ and say we don't like the Bible, but we're ignoring the very one who brought them into existence. And by the way, he is called the Word for a reason. 
because Christ, his very nature, as the second person of the Trinity, is to promote his word. And mysticism, as I mentioned earlier, destroys a faith-reasoned-based Christianity founded in the word of God and moves everything into experience. Into experience. Another man who was at the Truth Matters Conference back in May spoke on this issue, and he said, one of the arguments the Charismatics use is that I had a real miraculous experience. And so because it's miraculous, it must be true. I had this experience and uh, spoke in tongues and had this tremendous experience. I didn't even know what I was doing. And the speaker pointed out, just because you have an experience doesn't make it true. And so what he did is he actually played in this sermon he was preaching a Christian charismatic tongues session. Then he played the Kondalee a pagan Indian tribe speaking tongues as well, and they sounded exactly the same. Experience doesn't mean truth. Just because someone speaks in tongues, so-called, doesn't mean that tongues are from God. We don't base our lives mystically on an experience. I don't need an experience in 2023 with Jesus Christ. I need to fellowship with the Spirit through the word of God. We'll pick up letter F on the backside next time. As we bow in prayer, take a moment to reflect. If you haven't gotten your communion elements, come up while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Take a few moments to reflect on your life. Here's a question for you on your first communion of 2023 as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, unless you're getting communion elements, then please don't walk with your head bowed and eyes closed. But for the rest of us who've received communion uh, elements and are ready to partake of them, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. On January 1st, today, do you consider yourself more spiritual than you were January 1st, 2022? Think about that. Do you think you're more spiritual now than you were 365 days ago. Now that's a trick question with heads bowed, eyes closed, and here's why. I certainly can't tell whether I'm more spiritual now than I was then, and you probably can't either. It's very hard to look backwards and see if we're more spiritual 12 months. Very difficult. I would say probably nobody in this room could, with any confidence, say I'm more spiritual now than I was on January 1st, 2022. With heads bowed, eyes closed, here's why. Because we're so corrupted by sin. It's very hard to analyze. So here's a better question. Are you ready? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Have you become more sensitive to sin in your life, more often feeling guilt up through today than you were a year ago? Now that's one we can better track. Have I had more guilt? Have I been repenting more? Have I been mourning over sin and upset over my failures more and more? That's the negative side of growing godliness, folks. And that's what communion is about. That we don't come to communion, as Paul told the Corinthians, without dealing with sin. 
And we want to be dealing with sin more, which means we're more sensitive to it. If you feel that you are having more guilt, more times of confession and repentance up to today than you were at the beginning of last year, please do not say to yourself, I must be backsliding. I'm feeling more guilt. I'm upset more about my sin. I fail more often. I repent more often. That's not a sign of backsliding. That's a sign of growth. We're in good company on that. Paul in Romans 7 said, the very thing I don't want to do, I do. I practice the very evil I hate. This godly believer, godlier than any of us, Paul, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says, I am the chief of all sinners. Isaiah the prophet said, I am a man of unclean lips and heart is the implication. If you look back and you feel less guilt, ah, I think I progressed last year. I, I felt less guilt. I didn't have to confess as much. Things, things were going good. I was more successful with sin. I didn't see as much sin in my life. Then you have backslidden over the last 12 months. Growing sensitivity to sin should never end for the believer. Horror over our sin should grow as believers. We will never stop sinning till we're in heaven. And spiritual growth means the Spirit is convicting us more and more and more. I don't look at sin failure or lack thereof as a sign that I'm growing because we will all fail with sin. I look personally for being upset over that and frustrated with my sin. Loving it, then hating it, and asking God's forgiveness. This is why, as I mentioned last Sunday, and I've added now another seven mercies to my prayer book, I'm up to 71, I can't pray to God for mercy enough because only people who see themselves as terrible sinners will ask for mercy. And the more you grow, the more you realize just how sinful you are and how much we daily, as believers, need our Savior to forgive us. Father, on this first day of the new year, we honor and commemorate you first, Heavenly Father, for willingness before time immemorial to send the Son to die for us. We had no hope if you did not make that decision, that you love the world, that you gave your only begotten Son. Jesus, our eternal Word, who became flesh, we honor and remember you in communion right now for willingness to rise from your co-rulership with the Father on your thrones and come to earth and incarnate and die for the wretched likes of us. How eternally grateful are we. In fact, we're so grateful, Lord, we who are saved, that for all of eternity, Ephesians tells us, that we will be worshiping you for the riches of your grace that have been shown towards us. A never-ending worship service awaits us for the gift of grace that saved us. We will, when we're in heaven, realize exactly what we were spared, eternal hell. And as the Pope died this past week at 94, how shocked he is now knowing that he's in hell. Thinking that he was the head of the church when he was damning millions to perdition with him. Lord, we're not good. We are not self-righteous. 
We can bring nothing to the cross but our sinful selves. And you saved us. All of us in this room who are saved, Lord, at various points in our lives, we bowed our knees to your lordship and repented and received you. And we received that tremendous gift and we're so grateful. And may we never stop repenting and thanking you for grace. But it's more than just sin that shows the difference. As we'll see tonight in 1 Peter, you require obedience. Christianity is transformational. And if we didn't do it in 2022, Lord, then impel us and burden us in 2023 to do it, to self-examine, to make sure we're in the faith. Daily to look for evidences, major evidences that we're truly saved because we could deceive ourselves thinking that we're saved when we're not. So in this year, we ask, Lord, that you would give us greater sensitivity to see biblical evidences of true conversion. This is what we want, Lord. We want to see growing evidences of conversion and a heightened sensitivity towards sin. We're all blind to sins, Lord, because we're warring against the flesh and there's the fog of war. We need you to strip the blindness away step by step as we fellowship with the Spirit and fellowship with the Word so that we would be made more sensitive to sins that we're blind to. Whatever we're blind to, dear Lord, please, in our minds, through the Word of God and the power of the Spirit, show us this year so that we may repent of that which we now see. And thirdly, Holy Spirit, I don't know why you would ever do it, to come into our minds and live in our polluted thought life. In fact, it's so bad that when you came in at conversion, you had to instantly create a perfect environment in our thought life to live. You would not be tormented or polluted by the wickedness of our thoughts. So you created a new nature that is marked, as Ephesians 4 said, by righteousness and holiness of the truth and then planted yourself in that new nature, in our minds, to live in perfection and then working outward from that new nature, warring against our sin nature. What a gift you are, Holy Spirit. And not only to be in our minds, but to never leave us and never forsake us. We take up the bread, Jesus, and we thank you that you died on the cross for us. This bread and this cup is only for true believers who are repentant and see evidences of conversion. May we not partake of this cup falsely this year ever, dear Lord. If we're not repenting of sin, we should not partake of it. And if we ride everything just on our profession, I receive Jesus, and see no evidences of true conversion, may we abstain as well. We need to be Christians, dear Lord, that are not only saved to partake of, con of communion, but who are assured that they are truly saved by the evidences. And before you, we thank you in this new year. Whether there's rioting in China, isolation of Israel, Southern Baptist presidents who claim that they're God, evangelicalism that is wrecked, horrible plagues, bad crime. This is all according to your plan. You are in control providentially. You control all things. We remember you. And we partake, thanking you that you're in control. Let's partake of the bread together. That you shed 
your blood for the remission and removal of our sin. We take the cup a remembrance, which is not your blood, just grape juice, a symbol, and we rejoice that all past, present, and future sins and the judgment that is connected to those sins has been removed forever because of the blood of our dear Savior. We honor and exalt you together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen.